This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to 2015. Yet another year they seem to keep on coming. And the Bugle will, as ever, be here to chronicle every single moment as the countdown to the end of the third millennium keeps rolling on. Still quite a way to go, but still. I'm Andy Zaltzman, live in London, and joining me from the silly side of the Atlantic, relatively, it's the man who turns the Big Apple into the massive flagon of cider by squishing it in his <laughs> cider press of probing sideswipes, fermenting it in the vats of veracity before presenting it to the world in sweet bottle bullshit form with which to drink away its pain. It's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Happy New Year to one and to most, mostly all. <laughs> uh, I hope 2015 has been individually and collectively acceptable to you so far. I was back in the UK over the holiday for a week, during which time I played football with both Andy and Chris, which was a true festive delight, despite (laughs) the fact that my personal performance was not up to my regular standards. I'll quickly say that. I will then go on to say, in my defence, Andy, if you took Pele and got him to play a game at his peak after getting off an international flight last thing the previous night, you'd get a similar performance. (laughs) What I'm saying is, I'm a jet-lagged Pele, Andy. (laughs) Right, I mean that's a that's a big that's a big claim. I say, you know, if you took Pele off a, off a you know transatlantic flight the day before and removed ninety percent of his central nervous system and <laughs> repeatedly smacked him around the head with a fr- frying pan, yeah, maybe you're getting somewhere there. I mean, it was the a point, fr- the point is I'm like Pele. Yeah, it was, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. What when you what you play like a seventy five year old? <laughs> it was, <laughs> oh, it was an abject display, John. When true, it wasn't truly good. abject. Yeah, I mean, I, I was bossing it, knocking it around the midfield. Like, uh, well, I mean, I'm very much like a young Beckenbauer. Knocking me. it around Sweep, the midfield. Sweeping up from the back. But not to too forward. many of your own players. Well, that's not the point, yeah, though, is true. it? You know, that you, is true. If you can't well, read, if you can't Chris, read the book... Say, Chris has got one hell of an engine. He <laughs> ran around like a triathlete. Right. He even tried swimming across the floor at one point. What, what I would say, Chris, in answer to your suggestion that not all of my passes found teammates, is if you can't read a book, don't go in the library. <laughs> so this is bugle 283 uh, for the week uh, ending the 9th of january 2015 which means that tomorrow is the 10th of january in 49 bc on this date julius caesar crossed the rubicon uh the uh, river uh, the celebrity river in uh, uh, Italy, a move that cannot be unmoved. Uh, the phrase came to be known as a boundary that once crossed cannot be uncrossed. And on exactly the same day, 2,056 years later, eight years ago today, my wife and I crossed our own personal Rubicon, <laughs> by which I mean we had our first child. Uh, there's no going back. Once you've done it, absolutely no going yeah. back. Um, uh, and uh, a week ago, John, Matilda... Uh, you know, heading up towards the uh, heady heights of turning eight, turned to me with quite a serious look on her face and said, Daddy, I think I'm getting a little bit too old for some of your jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean that, that time was always destined to come. And yeah. in many ways, I'm thankful that it took so long to get there. 
Uh, on this day in uh, 1776, well, tomorrow, 10th of January, uh, Thomas Paine published uh, Common Sense. Uh, if you're listening, Thomas, an updated version would be handy. Your message still hasn't hammered home to everyone on the planet. Uh, they've recently discovered unpublished excerpts from the original Common Sense, including chapters entitled Why to Avoid Large Spikes, Don't Urinate on Crocodiles, and The Do's and Don'ts of Trampolining at Funerals. Top story this week, it's 2015. Hopefully this year will contain some happier news than last year. It's not like it can get any worse. Hold on a second, what the f*** is happening in Paris? So, this is going to be a little tricky, as uh, the situation is fluid, uh, a very depressing fluid as well. Uh, but on Wednesday, there were horrifying scenes in Paris as a pair of gunmen, or gun douches, to describe them in the mildest possible way, killed 12 people at the offices of French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo. Killing a bunch of innocent people because you're offended by a joke is a bombastically boneheaded act of barbarism, Andy. To commit murder over a cartoon is almost cartoonishly stupid. (laughs) And perhaps we should first do a bit of background explaining uh, exactly what Charlie Hebdo is, just in case you don't know or were unable to find out this week due to understandably throwing your TV out of the window in frustration when this story first started to break. Uh, The satirical magazine has actually been attacked before. They were firebombed back in 2011, in November, after it published uh, a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad under the title Sharia Hebdo. So this is nothing new. They've also featured cartoons insulting Christians, Jews, politicians, and even the British, although I can't think what they could possibly find mockable about us. (laughs) The point is, pissing people off and entertaining them has very much been in Charlie Hebdo's raison d'etre over the years, or whatever the French for raison d'etre is. (laughs) Uh, The magazine was born in 1970, fittingly from an arguably offensive but pretty good joke. There were two big news events around that time, a massive fire at a discotheque, which killed more than 100 people, and the death of former French President General Charles de Gaulle. A magazine called Harakiri uh, led its edition making fun of uh, de Gaulle's death and the hysterical reaction to it with the headline Bal Tragique à Colombe une mort, which translates as Tragic Dancer Colombe, which was de Gaulle's home, one dead. Pretty good joke, pretty especially for 1970, Andy, <laughs> where the bar of jokes was very low and <laughs> Very racist. (laughs) However, there was a scandal which led to Harakiri getting banned and the journalist employed there responded by setting up a new weekly paper, Charlie Hebdo. Flash forward to decades of cartoons, both entertaining and infuriating people, and that gets us to Wednesday with two maniacs and some guns. And what a shitty Wednesday it was. Yes, as is often the case, the actions of a nano-minority of hyper from a dark cranny of religious (laughs) filth were met with a globally extended middle finger of defiance as France and the rest of the world united in revulsion. Terrorists, John, it seems, even in 2015, still struggling with the public relations side of things, seem no closer to winning over the floating neutral. Uh, Much of the uh, media, uh, particularly in Britain, I don't know if this was uh, the case in America as well, did come up with some slightly odd mixed reactions to it. They expressed their defiance of the terrorists by A, not reprinting the cartoons in question, and B, publishing instead video footage of the terrorists slaying a policeman and photographs of the bloodstained crime scene. I found these rather mixed messages from our media uh, being sent out, messages which included, you can't look at this, it's too disgusting, and, hey guys, look at this, it's really disgusting, and they seem to have (laughs) got confused over which was supposed to be which. One exception to the prevailing tide of uh, 
global opinion was Anjem Chowdhury. Uh, and I don't know if he's uh, had a lot of airtime stateside. I noticed he had, a, he had an article on the USA Today website. Now, he is uh, one of Britain's gobbiest quits uh, and um, a man who must make 99.9% of Muslims unbelievably frustrated because he is bafflingly wheeled out on news programmes with alarming regularity. Um, now, I know even less about Islam than I do about Judaism, but I would imagine putting Anjem Chowdhury on telly to talk about it is the equivalent of having a golf commentator who spends the whole day saying, this player defies the laws of golf. Put the five iron down, infidel scum. You should be using a baguette and a dog's testicle. He would speak for, at best, a very small minority of golf fans. Uh, one of the biggest questions that people have tried to wrap their arms around uh, is why. Why would people do this? Why would they kill innocent people over a cartoon? To which the answer is, because they're arseholes. And that's basically it. It's easy to overcomplicate a response to that question. And in doing so, people will then add their own beliefs or prejudices to the motivations. But if you really boil it down, the answer, they're arseholes, really gets to the nub of the question that you're trying to ask. Because it's a fair rule to say, if you kill someone for making a joke, you are an arsehole. No, no matter what that joke was, or whether you liked it, or whether that joke was even particularly good or not, you are committing the act of an arsehole for reasons entirely consistent with arseholery. And that is not to say that you can't be offended by things. I'm sure many of the things that Charlie Hebdo published offended a lot of people. It's okay to be offended by things. In fact, it's absolutely inevitable you'll be offended by things in this world. It's impossible not to be. This is an offensive planet. Feelings get hurt. That's the inherent design flaw with feelings. They make you feel things. <laughs> what you can't do is kill people just because you're offended by something. That makes you a sociopath. That makes you Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, <laughs> and no one wants to be Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. <laughs> but well, you have to also ask questions over the uh, qu quite the, the think the logic behind it. Charlie Hebdo was quite a, a well-known magazine, but had a circulation uh, I read of around thirty thousand um, in France, and a reputation for being not entirely complimentary towards the big celebs of global religion, you know, your gods, your Jesuses, your Allahs, your Mohammeds, your Moseses, you know the type. Um, one assumes that of these 30,000, fewer than 30,000 were Muslims and much fewer than 30,000 were fundamentalist Muslims. Um, these things tend to be quite easy to avoid if you are sensitive about them. However, that avoidance has become significantly less easy now because they, uh, these terrorists have made Charlie Hebdo, at the moment, the most famous magazine in the universe. Uh, I don't know how many other potential second Earths you astronomers find. This uh, magazine is uh, planning now to raise its print run uh, from its standard 30,000 or 60,000, read a couple of different figures, to, for next week's issue, 1 million, making it by sheer weight of numbers 3,300% uh, more offensive to the average fundamentalist Muslim. Um, in fact... What they have done, John, um, is taken a magazine with a roughly equivalent uh, circulation uh, as the American Ship Review. Uh, <laughs> 1859, for those who don't read it, that is a specialist magazine about the state of Oregon. And <laughs> Donya Yebazi, an Iranian bi-weekly Persian-language computer games magazine. Uh, and with a significantly lower circulation than either the New Zealand Gardener or Britain's Simply Knitting, and I sincerely hope uh, Simply Knitting, as a gesture of solidarity, runs uh, with a crochet-your-own-profit story on the front cover next week. <laughs> um, Charlie Hebdo has only around five times higher circulation 
than the highly prestigious and influential Potato Processing International magazine, <laughs> with whom I once had a job interview. <laughs> and what these terrorists have done has turned... Wait, wait, whoa, 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 Andy, Andy, we're, we're going to have to take a diversion okay. there. Does that mean you had an interview with the Potato magazine and were not good enough to get the job? <laughs> well, uh... I'm glad you didn't think I had an interview to try and publicise my tour. Um, but, <laughs> but, no, this was uh, back in the happy days when I was uh, looking for gainful employment post-university. Yeah. And um, went for and an you e- didn't get the job, I, I did not. I don't think I conveyed the requisite level of enthusiasm for sub-editing articles about the international <laughs> potato processing industry, albeit that's... Potato Potato Processing International. It is the global leader in the potato processing industry globally in terms of magazines. Pump the brakes, Andy. You're not in the interview now. (laughs) (laughs) And I wouldn't have just been Potato Processing Internationals. I've also been working for Asia Pacific Baker as well. So let's not not forget (laughs) that. Uh, for a grand salary of, I believe it was £10,000 working in uh, an industrial estate in Kemsing near Seven Oaks in Kent. <laughs> happy, happy days. <laughs> now, uh, I've never been more delighted to receive a rejection letter. So what they've managed to do, John, to return to the point, uh, is turn a magazine with a circulation of generally you know, thirty to 60,000 into the single highest profile magazine issue in the history of humanity. That's is counterproductivity uh, of the highest order. It's also a problem for the attackers in, in general on a practical scale, this level of irritation at something so small. Because if you are that angered by a cartoon, you must be angry literally all the time. Because you don't get to be murderously angry over a cartoon and then not be murderously angry over, let's say, your takeaway pizza being cold. If, if you're going to set the bar for killing that low, you have to accept the <laughs> irritation of everything that is above that bar. If you're a terrorist who is willing to kill someone for a joke, then when a train is cancelled and someone starts screaming in frustration, you do not get to say, oh, come on, mate, calm down, it's just a train, let's try and get this in perspective, shall we? No, you have to be intellectually consistent and you have to kill every train driver who has ever been late to anything. That is just a fact. There, there is concern now in France about how some people may respond to this, because to put it mildly, racism is very much a club that some French politicians have in their bag or in their satchel, as they would put it. <laughs> uh, the Le Pen family have a long poisonous history of inciting race hatred. Uh, and if, and uh, as if to get ahead of that, there were some interesting campaigns to uh, try and raise people's belief in humanity in the aftermath of this horrible event. The Je suis Charlie campaign was instantly popular, as was an extension, the Je suis Ahmed movement, referencing the fact that one of the 12 people killed was 42-year-old Muslim policeman Ahmed Marabet, shot outside the Charlie Hebdo offices. Other responses, of course, were a little less measured. Uh, Here in America, ex-NSA director Michael Hayden was asked broadly on TV how humanity might best be able to avoid future tragedies like this, a general question to which he answered, well, I was talking to you guys about 12 months ago about those massive amounts of metadata that NSA held in storage. That metadata doesn't look all that scary this morning, and I wouldn't be surprised if the French services pick up cell phones associated with the attack and ask the Americans, where have you seen these phones active globally? Oh, f- you to a tremendous extent. This is not about you, you little fucker. (laughs) 
in another media low point on CNN, Don Lemon was interviewing Arsalan Iftar, uh, who is a prominent Muslim human rights lawyer here and senior editor at Islamic Monthly. Uh, they were discussing Islamic extremism. That was the stage upon which Don Lemon was about to take a gigantic shit. Uh, because he then said, Don Lemon, to uh, his, uh, his guest, in August, 16% of French citizens support ISIS. Would you describe those who support ISIS as ex Islamic extremists? Do you support ISIS? To which his guest understandably responded, wait, did you just ask me if I supported ISIS? <laughs> and that's a fair response, Andy, from a Muslim human rights lawyer. Because if you're wondering whether your guest, a, let me reiterate, Muslim human rights lawyer, supports ISIS, the answer to that question should probably lie in how you f***ing introduced him. <laughs> Uh, many publications have expressed their sor solidarity by reprinting uh, the uh, ch uh, many of the Charlie Hebdo uh, cartoons. Now, obviously, we're we're, we're an audio publication, um, so so we can't reprint those cartoons. But all we can do is issue our own audio cartoon in response to the attacks. A man with a beard who may or may not be a prophet, uh, wearing a "Not in My Name" T-shirt with an angry look on his face. Take that, terrorists. Take that. <laughs> 2015 prediction section now. And, well, 2014, as John suggested, has thankfully f***ed right off into the annals of history like the cranky little shitbag that it was. 2015, as many predicted, has taken its place and has not started too promisingly. Uh, no, it started f***ing <laughs> depressingly, Andy. It's a, it's a shitty start to a year, this. Yeah. It's a, it's a shitty... It is, yeah, as you say, it, it is a bad start uh, to a year. But thankfully, there's a Cricket World Cup and a Rugby World Cup to uh, <laughs> coming up to distract us. Um, so it's time for our Bugle predictions. Let's start with uh, oil, John. Uh, I know you're a massive fan of the black stuff. Um, in 2014, uh, OPEC launched a surprise massive half-price sale on oil, just 50 bucks a barrel for all the crude oil you can drink. That's 50 bucks a barrel while stocks last. And a free subscription to Rising International Tension monthly magazine. Uh, the oil price last year uh, deflated like the hopes and dreams of a cosseted idealistic teenager reading his first copy of the Daily Mail. Down from over $110 a barrel. Still not bad. That's a lot of oil in a barrel. And you can just pour it on your next door neighbour's garden. And if they complain, you just say, hey, buddy, think how many birds you've saved by having this on your lawn instead of in the sea. You're a f***ing hero. Um, and, and you get a free barrel for rolling down a hill in, when uh, drunk. So even at $110 a barrel, for me, it was a bit of a bargain. But this year, it's now, it just touched $50 a barrel. I'm going to jangle my crystal balls in the underpants of uh, future history on this one and say that oil is going to keep sliding down like a hippo in a bobsled. And by December... Uh, we will all be waking up to a knock on the door and opening it to find a Saudi prince outside uh, with a free free barrel of oil saying, please take it and have a tenner for your troubles. Um, John, what's your your um, your prediction for uh, for oil this year? I, mean, I think it's going to be big in people's engines, Andy, and right. I think it's going to be big on people's pelicans. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Russia. Now, uh, Russia, the celebrity nation, acted like a proper tool for much of 2014, has started 2015... In similar form, it is uh, listed in new legislation, apparently, transsexual and transgender people amongst those who will no longer qualify for... Any guesses? I know, it's yep. awful. Driving licences. <laughs> other, uh, quotes, mental disorders that can now bar people from driving include fetishism, 
voyeurism and exhibitionism, which bars you from driving, but not evidently from being president. That's a very important legal demarcation. But I guess, John, you know, it might seem a little intolerant to ban you know, people who enjoy fetishism, voyeurism and exhibitionism from driving. But as the old saying goes, you cannot drive a car on a motorway at 70 miles an hour whilst hogtied to a refrigerator with a dominatrix <laughs> dressed up as a giant cucumber standing over you screaming, who lives in the vegetable box? You cannot possibly hope to negotiate the Moscow rush hour whilst looking through an industrial telescope as you drive along through every single window of the nearest block of flats to see if you can spot a hot housewife doing some naked yoga. And you cannot negotiate your way through the t- tricky switchback mountain roads of the Caucasus if you're driving along with your plums out of the window shouting, say, hello to the dangly douglases road safety simply has to come first and i'm glad russia has taken the lead on this uh, you might think that passing this kind of legislation in the state russia is in at the moment is classic procrastination tactics sort out the small stuff to justify ignoring the massive looming deadlines we've all done it we've all decided to catalog our socks uh, and arrange our pens and pencils in nib thickness order before filling out that tax return or before going to hospital to have that severed artery checked out by a specialist russia Can we deal with a collapsing economy, international pariah status, and an absolute arbuckle of political corruption? Nah, that can all wait. First, let's stop transgender people from driving. After all, as Putin himself would almost certainly say, if they can't decide if they're a boy or a girl, they're going to have trouble with left and right. Now someone fill me with my shirt off riding a horsey. Oh yeah! So my prediction by the end of the year, John, I think Russia will probably have got a bit overexcited after its uh, takeovers of the Crimea and Ukraine and have had a pop at Mexico. I think you could have uh, Russians massing on the border trying to sneak into Texas. Uh, What's your your prediction for Putin's year this year, John? Well, it's not so much a prediction as an overall thought, Andy, that if Russia leads the news in 2015 as much as it did in 2014, we're all in serious (laughs) shit. I think that's a very fair fair point. Yeah, if ever, if the news starts, we begin in Russia. (laughs) It's not usually for anything good. Um, in Britain, of course, we've woken up this year and election fever is once again gripping the nation. May the 7th, uh, general election now looming over the British public like a dessert of shit ice cream on a set menu in a restaurant. We know it's coming and we're just trying our best to enjoy the rat cutter old main course as best we can. <laughs> it's going to be a fascinating election, John. The relationship between the British electorate and their politicians is roughly equivalent to that between a jam-covered family at a picnic and some wasps. They don't want to hear them, they certainly don't want to see them, and they definitely don't want to give them their money. All the traditional parties are in a state of somewhere between complete and partial disintegration. The Conservatives, the dominant coalition partners, have overseen an economic recovery that looks good on paper. If the paper you're reading it on is either the Daily Telegraph or a certificate saying congratulations on being absolutely f***ing minted. For most other people, that paper would be best flushed down something. Uh, Labour rather hamstrung by a number of problems, not least their leader, their previous leader and the leader before that one, (laughs) whilst the Liberal Democrats are currently doing an Ernie Shackleton and getting stuck in the icy nether regions of the opinion polls for an extremely long time. A touching tribute to the great polar explorer on the 100th anniversary of his significantly longer than planned Antarctica expedition. And into the gaps has come... uh, Uh, UKIP, whose leader, Nigel Farage, uh, has been uh, mostly, for the last couple of months uh, since uh, he became uh, increasingly prominent, been playing a kind of game of political hit the mouse, uh, a game in which you have to whack a mouse with a hammer when it pops up out of of the board. Uh, And instead of hitting and mice, it's shutting up and the lunatic candidates his party has to choose, including this week himself, as I'm frankly... uh, 
ill-timed at best and at worst totally horrific comments in the uh, aftermath of the uh, the Paris uh, uh, shootings. There are so many balls in the air, John, and the British public uh, is understandably taking cover. Uh, my prediction, I think that we could be heading for the first ever 0% turnout in a British general election. <laughs> and the Queen will rightfully retake absolute power. And I think that would make this nation significantly happier. Oh, Andy, you're starting to sound like Russell Brand. (laughs) I thought that that was one of my predictions, that uh, you certainly start to resemble Russell's career a little more. Do you you still get to vote, or has that been uh, correctly stripped away from you since you abandoned the nation? Everything has been stripped. All power has been stripped away from me in Britain, Andy. (laughs) I've had everything... All elements of power has been taken away out of pure spite because right. of my me daily to spend more than three weeks outside the country. <laughs> Including the, the power in your, your once mighty left foot by the evidence of that football <laughs> game we played. <laughs> and of course, uh, democracy is going to be gearing up in America uh, for the 2016 election. This being 2015, there's going to be an absolute welter of, uh, uh, of uh, build-up action. Uh, are you excited, John? Well, yeah, although it's it's not so much starting, Andy, as it, it never ends. You know, the election cycle is a true cycle in America. It's a circle. There is no start or end to the whole thing. It just goes round and round and round. Uh, I was looking at the odds, uh, because, I mean, it's, it's not just a significant political event, but more importantly, it's a gambling opportunity as well. Um, uh, the favourites, um, Hillary Clinton, five to four favourite. Chelsea Clinton, 1,500 to one. Maybe four years too soon for Chelsea. And second favourite, Jeb Bush. And I guess, John, you can't help thinking what the world needs right now is that surname on some very American-headed notepaper. Um, So it could be Clinton v. Bush again. It's like 1992 all over again, which can only mean David Gow getting unnecessarily dropped from the England cricket team again. But um, it does seem rather incestuous now, uh, American politics. And I think, I mean, looking at it, I think America should just be honest with itself Stop dicking around and take the monarchy back. Because what American politics has become is basically (laughs) the British royal family in the 15th century, but without this straightforward decency to actually assassinate each other. Yeah, and without the really (laughs) spectacular costumes as well. (laughs) Uh, So any any potential big movers from outside the the favourites? Michelle Obama listed at 66 to 1 with uh, one bookie. 66? That's (laughs) great. That is not long odds enough, Andy. Not, uh, not, not long odds. Um, uh, David, David Letterman. I mean, interesting, yep. interesting timing. Can't be coincidence. Uh, mm-hmm. Derek Jeter's got to be worth a go. Surely might split the New York vote. Uh, any plans for yourself, John? I mean, I know you're technically not American, but that hasn't stopped the last guy, you great big Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Uh... Uh, I mean, sure, Andy. I'll just I I'll have to attack the Constitution first. But, you know, there are those in America who think I'd do that on a regular basis. Anyway, so. uh, I was uh, reading a, a, in a tech section. They've got new technology that can recreate Abraham Lincoln's brain and use it as an app to run government. So that I mean that's one potential uh, exactly avenue for America to go down. Let's call that seventy-two to one. <laughs> so who who? Let, let's have your early prediction. I mean, it's still quite a long time to go. I can't, I can't do it, Andy. If I engage in predicting the presidential <laughs> debate, I'm going to throw myself out of the window of my office. Right, what floor are you on? High enough, Andy. Okay, Eight. <laughs> okay. probably not worth it then. <laughs> Anything below four, yeah, give it a go.
Uh, the exciting constitutional event this year in Britain is the 800th anniversary of the publication of the smash hit blockbuster Magna Carta. A uh, bit dry to read these days, can be basically summed up as a bit about fishing and how to stop kings being pricks. Like many things cited as being quintessentially British, it is A, covered in layers and layers of historical bullshit, and B, English. It uh, initially worked, uh, worked pretty well, the Magna, Magna Carta, for about two months before war broke out between naughty King John and his barons, uh, which I think was the working title for your HBO show initially, wasn't it? It absolutely was. <laughs> um, King John, uh, renowned as one of our worst ever kings, here is a bad... Bad review, John. This is from a monk at the time writing uh, in St Albans. Black as is hell, King John's presence there makes it blacker still. Zing, that is one star. Um, Within ten years, uh, um, only about a third of the Magna Carta was still being used, and now there are just three remaining clauses on the statute book, including we will sell to no man either justice or... Or right. In other words, please, if you're in government, don't flog off the criminal justice system to a road haulage company. Thank you very much. And the 800th uh, anniversary celebrations will be huge. They uh, just announced a special series of uh, enormous public concerts in which uh, singers such as Coldplay, Adele and Bitsky Snickerdick uh, will sing specially commissioned songs explaining the 13th century feudal system and whether or not you've been allowed to plant a forest where you're standing 0.8 of a millennium ago. So all that to look forward to in uh, 2015. As we say, it started... Uh, oh, to be honest, John, at this stage, I would take a 3 out of 10 year. I think last yep. year was about 1.5. I'm looking for a bit of a bounce back, but I'll take a 3 out of 10 year this year for the world. Bad start, though, Andy. Bad, bad start. <laughs> yeah. It's like a Grand Prix. You've got to hit the first corner well. Well, that is it for this week's uh, Bugle. It's, uh, well, it's been nice to be back doing the Bugle, but uh, ideally yes. in slightly nicer <laughs> yeah, circumstances. Would, yeah, yeah. It's not been would've, fun, has it? This no. Week? It's, not, not, it's been, not been fun. No. Next so, week, Andy. There's always next week. Yes. Um, so if you are listening and you are a terrorist, please uh, grow the f*** up. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, do check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle do send your emails into info at the buglepodcast.com uh, no further questions goodbye Bye. hi it's producer chris from the bugle here did you know that i have a new series of my podcast richie firth travel hacker out now It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you you must be so excited. Listen now.